Good morning. And thank you for allowing me to begin with that chant. It's very old, the loving kindness meditation. It predates even the Buddha. Interesting. The Pali word is metta, meaning benevolence, loving kindness, friendliness. The term is found in the sense of Vedic literature. It appears in Buddhist texts. According to Martin Wilshire, prior to the advent of the Buddha, there existed traditions of Brahma Loka and of meditation with the four virtues of loving kindness, compassion, empathetic joy, and equanimity. The early Buddhist texts assert that pre-Buddha ancient Indian sages who taught these virtues were earlier incarnations of the Buddha. Loving kindness, along with compassion and equanimity, are found in the early Upanishads of Hinduism while loving-kindness metta is found in early sutras of Jainism, along with compassion, empathetic joy, and equanimity. So the picture of, is that these words are, are uh, very old and have been in use by many different people, and that's a very good thing, that they are not limited to our practice because they're such powerful words and so straightforward. Very different than um, pieces by Dogen, for example, that came much later. Right? I think of myself as a simple Buddhist. Sometimes I struggle with some of the more complex texts, unlike many people in here who are much more advanced and adept at understanding those. I find that the loving kindness meditation very accessible for me and very grounding for me. And I think also very applicable for the world. Today, unfortunately, marks 100 days since October the 7th, the beginning of war between Israel and Gaza. 100 days of killing, 100 days of destruction, 100 days of captivity, 100 days of hatred. <laughs> a hundred days of danger, and a hundred days of pain. And even more terribly and hard to accept is that these things did not begin a hundred days ago and are not limited to that part of the world. And so I hope you'll permit me to discuss this topic today, and I promise I'll do so with my utmost mindfulness and care, befitting of our practice and our teachings, as they have been conveyed unbroken from Buddha all the way to Tenshin Roshi, the founder of our temple, and who is the teacher of our teacher, Galen Roshi, who has asked me to speak to you today, and to whom I give great thanks, not just for this opportunity to speak, but also for every aspect of her leadership. And I also want to note Louise's passing. I was very comforted to be with her at the altar. I was born here in Houston 58 years and 72 days ago at Methodist Hospital on what was once Karankawa land, land which was taken by force and by disease 
by those who had crossed an ocean from Spain, and later by those who came from the eastern United States, notably the Austin colony. I was born here because of those events, and more directly because both of my parents' recent ancestors, Eastern European Jews from Poland and Lithuania, had the presence of mind to cross that same ocean to escape the life-threatening danger of anti-Semitism and to find opportunity elsewhere where they were permitted entry. I am very cognizant that both my existence and my existence here, especially, can only be explained by myriad causes and conditions, known and unknown, some of them joyful, many of them painful. My early life was not carefree. I had my own catastrophe, my own Nakba. As a five-year-old, when my mother died of cancer, those of us who lose a parent early are very much in the minority. I think the number is 3%. And I'm left-handed. <laughs> so the combined probability of a left-hander who loses a parent early is a third of a percent. And I've always had a sense of being different. I attended Jewish day school at Congregation Beth Yeshurun, the largest synagogue in the city, one of the largest in, in this part of the country. And I was taught Hebrew, holidays, Torah, and about Israel, which was a very young country at that time. It still is. I was taught about its founding. In the 1970s, I was taught about the glorious victory in the War of 1967. And then I remember one day we were all, and I don't remember how old I was or what grade I was in. I'm thinking maybe fourth grade or fifth grade. We were taken into the room that served as the lunchroom, and it also doubled as an auditorium. And there were rows of seats set up for us to watch movies, a movie. And I sat, I can still see it, I believe, in the second row. And we were shown films of the Holocaust. And when I say films, back then, really, what was available were, were newsreels of the camps. Some of you may have seen footage that was taken by General Eisenhower's army. General Eisenhower instructed photographers to take film evidence of what they encountered. And that day I saw piles of bodies at the Camp Buchenwald. And I remember fighting back tears because death was not anything unknown to me. It was very tangible. I had experienced it and I could not imagine who would inflict this on another person, much less in this way, in this quantity. It was unfathomable to me. I can remember sitting in the synagogue in 1973, October the 6th, when there was alarm that went through the congregation. And I watched young men begin to get up to leave, as there had been a 
surprise attack on the state of Israel. I would later go on to become a bar mitzvah. And in high school, I would travel with my Hebrew school class to Israel on a pilgrimage, my first trip to the country, and saw many sites, travels to Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, Haifa, the hilltop fortress of Masada, a lot. And even then, two cities where Palestinian Arabs lived in the majority. The ancient town of Jericho, for example. In college, I remember the beginning of the first Intifada, and I took a course called The History of Israel with Gordon Levin, a remarkable teacher who did his very best to impress upon all of his students many different angles and perspectives on this issue, on this country, on its history, including the perspective of Palestinian Arabs and their experience. Immediately after college, I entered a program to volunteer with the Israeli Defense Forces, and I served for some number of months. And going through photos the other day, I found a photo that someone had taken. I'll pass it around. The photo is of me and a man who became a friend of mine, Oded Dahari, a man whose family had left Yemen country now in the news very much so over the last couple of days as our country has launched attacks there. And Oded's family had fled Yemen at the time of the founding of Israel. My children have been raised both as Buddhists and Jews. My wife identifies mostly as Jewish. I identify now mostly as Buddhist. And my extended family, my parents, brother, my sister, very closely identifying, very strongly identifying as Jews and with the state of Israel. My son August attends school at the Emory Wiener School, which is a school founded here in the Jewish community, Houston. And yet I have personally and steadily moved away from the practice of Judaism as my spiritual practice. Though Judaism remains an important ceremonial and family practice, brings our family together in very positive ways. But though I come from the chosen people, this Sangha is my chosen people. I'm one of the lucky people in the world who get to choose, to have chosen their spiritual path. The Dharma is my chosen teaching. The Buddha is my chosen teacher. October 7th and its ongoing terrible aftermath has made it more difficult and confusing for me and for many Jews to speak of their Judaism. And it has made it hard for many who are not Jews to speak about it as well. The ongoing tragedy has released many cross currents. And people's views and beliefs are now subject to rapid changes, and that's not a bad thing. Reverend Greg Fain spoke, I think it was last week, 
And he spoke of his teacher, Mel Weitzman, himself, Roshi Weitzman, I mean Jewish, <laughs> who advised Reverend Fain, you should follow current events, told us this story. Reverend Fain, Fain telling us all he, he really is actually trying not to. Galen Roshi held a Jizo ceremony early in November with the admonition to everyone that we would practice our ceremony, but that we were not going to talk politics, as it were. And that was excellent advice. An article in the New York Times recently in headline entitled, War Brings Tensions and Assault Rifles into an Israeli College, tells the story of the University of Haifa, Haifa City, and a college where Jews and Arabs uh, coexist, have coexisted. And one of the students, a young woman, says, she says, speaking about the conflict is very complicated because you have to speak perfectly. But she added, the perfect sentence does not exist. So I would rather not say anything. But I think we must find words, if only to provide that language to the world. And thanks to the Buddha and the Buddha's ancestors and our ancestors, we have that language. The perfect sentence does exist. There are many perfect sentences. So here are a few, and I'd like us to practice them responsibly together. May all beings be happy. May all beings be happy. May they live in safety. May they live safety. Those are the words of the loving kindness meditation, as we know we recited in its entirety. Those are perfect sentences, aren't they? They're perfect. Here's some more. Hate is not conquered by hate. Hate is not conquered by hate. Hate is conquered by love. Hate is conquered by love. This is a law eternal. This is a law eternal. That is from the Dhammapada. And those perfect sentences we were reminded of by Reverend Fain in his recent talk. We'll do a few more. The enlightenment roars the Dharma. It roars nonviolence. It roars nonviolence. It roars service to all beings. It roars service to all beings. It transmits nonviolence at the center of all violence. It transmits nonviolence at the center of all violence. True awakening sits in the middle of violence. True awakening sits in the middle of violence. And faces it nonviolently. And faces it nonviolently. Each of us sits in the middle of all beings. Each of us sits in the middle of all beings. Just like Buddhas do. Those are the words of Tenshin Roshi in a talk 
entitled Sit in the Midst of Flames. I feel those are all perfect sentences. The New York Times reports this morning, or maybe it was yesterday, the headline is On the Ballot in Iowa, Fear, Anxiety, and Hopelessness, and notes that in an October survey by the Public Religion Research Institute, nearly a quarter of Americans agreed that, quote, so this would have been the question that would have been asked of those who were polled, True American patriots may have to resort to violence in order to save our country. Nearly a quarter, a record high for this poll. And so we'll recite some more perfect sentences. Beings are numberless. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. <laughs> Delusions are inexhaustible. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. I vow to Dharma gates are boundless. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. I'd like to add one more short chapter. Before I close, a story that I've not told until now, and it took place at one of our early retreats at the Lotus Lake Center. Was anyone at that retreat? One, two, three, four, five. Our numbers have grown a lot since then, and that is so heartening. This was before we had our own retreat center. And so we were lucky enough to be able to rent a very beautiful place. And as the retreat came to a close, uh, cars were brought in to put all of our supplies and materials in to bring them back to our center, our city center. And a car pulled up that had a bumper sticker on it. It said, Free Palestine. This was the first religious event that I had been to where I saw such a bumper sticker. I would never have seen such a sticker at the synagogue. And I noticed that the owner of the car was new to our group. And she had a wonderful, easy smile, but also a very serious I would call it mean demeanor, very serious practice already, it seemed. And I remember sensing immediately, this is a very special person who can already have what seems like a serious practice so quickly. And I thought, maybe there's more to this free Palestine than I should be paying attention to. In Recent days, since October 7th, our family has dramatically increased our financial contributions to the Palestinian people and humanitarian causes supporting them. And I trace it directly to that bumper sticker, to this Sangha. So I'd like to end with a few more responsive verses. 
May Palestine be safe. May Palestine be safe. May it be joyful. May it be joyful. May it be free. May Israel be safe. May Israel be safe. May it be joyful. May it be joyful. May it be free. May it be free. May all beings be safe. May all beings be safe. May they be joyful. May they be joyful. May they be free. May they be free.